Welcome to Leadership Lessons. I'm Todd Gray, the Executive Director for the Kentucky Baptist Convention. Leadership Lessons is a program where we talk to faithful leaders who are making an impact for the gospel. My guest today is no stranger to Kentucky Baptist, a former KBC president, pastor of First Baptist Mayfield, Kentucky, Dr. Wes Fowler. Wes, thank you for joining Leadership Lessons for the second time. You, this is round two for you. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. We, uh, we really love and appreciate you and your family, and uh, we wanted to have you on following the tornado that came through West Kentucky and the impacts. We're going to talk a lot about that, but let's just start with a little bit more about your pastorate. How long have you been at First Baptist Mayfield? So May 22nd of this year, so coming up, coming up very shortly, will be uh, 11 years for me. And of course, uh, First Baptist Mayfield is my home church where I was born and raised. So you grew up there, and you're you're pastoring people who, um, pardon the crude uh, analogy, but changed your diaper when you were a baby at first. Yeah, first. I, I've said that before behind the pulpit, and I think we're trying to move past that. So thank you for bringing that. <laughs> thank you. They'd like you. They'd like you to stop saying it in other words. <laughs> but hey, the I mean, the neat thing is, I get to pastor the very people who helped raise me, and and that is a beautiful thing. You know, being with them now in their time of need, and whether it's a hospital or a, a wedding or a funeral, what, whatever it may it may be, it's it's a very neat neat time for me to to return the ministry to them. Wes, I was in a training meeting today, and the question was asked, "Who discipled you when you first came to Christ?" I knew what the person was getting at. Like, was there an individual that taught you how to read the Bible, that taught you how to pray, or that walked with you? But I think for a lot of people, and hearing some of your story, you'd say First Baptist Mayfield discipled you. That that church. In, in their way of leaning in and bringing someone along, they discipled you as a follower of Jesus. Is that is that fair? It's incredibly fair. And I want to, I mean, I think it's also very fair to say I was I was one of the more difficult kids at the church at the at the time. But in what way? Well, I mean, I was just the one that was loud. I was the one that was running. I was the one that was bouncing off the walls. And so I tell them right now, I tell our Sunday school teachers at every meeting, you know, hey, if you've got that kid that's just kind of a handful and difficult to to manage and just doesn't want to pay attention, doesn't want to listen. I'll say, please be patient with that child because he may one day be your pastor. So as a pastor, when you see that child, is it easy for you to be patient with them or, or do you like, man, I wish that guy just settled down a, a level or two? Yeah, it depends on the day probably. But yes, I think I've, I think I've got some grace towards those. Uh, I love hearing the sound of kids in the church. I think that's a great sign. So. So your world was turned upside down uh, recently following the devastating tornado in December that directly hit Mayfield. Wes, you've, you've kept a pictorial um, uh, 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 display of things happening in Mayfield at the time of the tornado. Up until even yesterday, you had a picture of a frame of a house being built and yeah. Mayfield being built one, one house at a time or one day at a time. Tell us uh, about how that Personal, the tornado impacted you personally, your personal experience of going through that tornado. Of course, we were, I mean, we were at the church right where, right where it, uh, it hit. We were in the basement of, of the church and uh, we, we left our home because we thought going to the church would be a, a safer environment to, to be in. And, and so it passed right over the top of us. Our home is fine. Didn't get touched at, uh, at all. Uh, so probably a bad move looking back on it. At the time, it seemed like the right move though. And, uh, it was a very scary situation in that moment. Um, there's no doubt. I mean, my wife would tell you she thought we weren't going to make it. I mean, it was it was the most violent thing that we've been through as far as, you know, a natural disaster that, um, that I can recall. 
Um, and then, of course, stepping out of the church afterwards and just seeing the destruction was a very disorienting experience. I mean, I remember walking out for the first time and, and looking around, and I was I was very confused. I thought something was wrong with me because there was a building missing that I, I've seen since childhood. And then I looked over a different direction, and I could see our bus, our church bus. And I'm like, I wonder who forgot to pull that into the garage. And the truth was the garage was gone. That's why I could see the bus. You know, uh, that didn't cross my mind at first. And and also in those moments, I mean, just to be honest, we could hear I mean, cries for help and screaming. And there were power lines down and and you could see the electricity through the I mean, you just pop in and hear it. And it, it was a incredibly tragic scene, just not knowing what to do, where to, you know, where to go. It was, that's it. Sounds like a, like a bomb just went off. And yeah. All the devastation was was there. Yeah. So I was in Mayfield Sunday with uh, Javi Masso at the Hispanic Congregation, their church that you all started uh, out of First Baptist Mayfield, and just driving through. So has it been has it been right at five months since the yeah. so right at five or six months, um, whichever. There's just so much devastation. So how do you all cope with that day by day when it's you, you get out and it still looks like it did yesterday and you see broken up trees and broken off trees and broken up. I mean, the brick on the your count, your, your, your city building, your courthouse, the loose brick are just still laying on top of the courthouse. And there's just a, and now there's a fence, a chain link fence around the whole thing to keep people, people away. How, how do you, how do you cope with that day by day? Uh, well, you know, there's there's some people in town that cope with it by just not going downtown. I mean, I've, I've talked to several people because there's part of town that looks perfectly fine, you know. Uh, we're Walmart and Lowe's and just that, that, that side of town is perfectly fine. It's the downtown area that is in the surrounding of downtown that's, that's so devastated. And so some people cope with it by just not, not looking at it. Um, we don't have that pleasure. Uh, obviously, our campus is right downtown. So I was there yesterday. I'll be there again after after we get finished today. Um, talking with contractors, insurance, different you know, there's some mission teams, et cetera, different things happening. And and I, I think the only way we cope with it is just one small piece at a time, one day at a at a time. I think right now we're coping with it okay. It changes. I mean, some days are pretty difficult, but we just have to see. The, the small steps towards progress um, and just a baby step is a great step, you know? Is there and, anything, is, so what's, what's something today that's further along than it was even two weeks or a month ago that you can think of? Well, so we, we have a, a mission team here from Georgia and they're working on a, on a house and they have to rip out the, the floor of this house because the ceiling got torn off and it ruined all the wood floors uh, last week. The, the ceiling or the, the roofing got put back on that house. And so that was a great that was a great day. And then this week, the floor is being torn out. Subfloor will be put back in by the end of this week. And so we see some progress there. And I know that one day there's going to be a displaced family living in that home that we're that we're working on yeah. on the church campus, for example. Um, you know, they had to remove some asbestos stuff, just part of the insurance plan. And I can walk through and see where one room at a time, in fact, you know, a square foot at a time, is being remedied and taken care of. And when I go in yesterday, it was more than a couple of days ago. And so there's progress. It's just it's just really slow. You're going to get there. And, and the fact that you're seeing it day by day probably even helps your perspective to say we are we are moving forward. It is it is by by baby steps. Well, it's, it's hard to see. I know it's going to be hard for folks that, that live there, but just seeing the broken off trees, 
and the, the just the destruction that that remains. So Wes, let's talk about leadership a little bit. Our time's called leadership lessons. Man, you're you're a great leader. You're one of my favorite people. Period. And I love watching how the Lord uses you to lead and being in meetings with you. But when this tragedy struck, how did you determine what to do first to help you to help the congregation at First Baptist? So on December 11th, we met in our conference room that morning. I mean, just less than, I mean, just a few hours after the tornado came, came through and it was my staff and uh, a lot of the spouses of our staff and just close friends and associates of our staff. And we met in the conference room with shattered glass all around us, uh, sitting in the same seats that we would normally sit in. And, and basically, I mean, it's a very vulnerable moment. I'm going to be honest with you. It's very vulnerable because they look at you and I'm the leader and they're saying, what do we do now? And I just put it out there. I don't know. Like, I I don't know. And I hate that. I like knowing. But right now, I don't know what to do. And so let's just talk about, as a group, what do we do? And we had, we had someone in the room that said, well, do we even know how our church members are? And then just this light went off. And I said, that's a great place to start. Let's, let's form a team and let's call every single church member today. And let's make contact and let's find out if they were affected. Let's find out if they're safe. And so that was our first step around that conference table that was suggested by somebody else uh, that we formed. A, we had about 10 people that immediately started making phone calls. And um, what we learned was that we had about 15 families that lost um, pretty much everything. And then we had one one uh, wife that lost her husband and um all their possessions pretty much lost everything that they that they had and of course in the the gentleman lost his life in the tornado you know Wes, that I, I can't imagine what that's like for you and for the one that discovered that particular phone call where that had mm-hmm. happened but in a normal case you hop in your car you run across town you get with that family and you spend time with them other family members come to them how, how did you minister to that particular family given the circuit I mean you couldn't hardly drive through Mayfield lines were down I was there a few days later it's almost impossible to drive drive through how, how did you respond to that family that, that lost the husband so in that particular situation the the wife was in the hospital for a procedure and that's why she lived uh, she was having a procedure done the husband was at home and actually watching it happen they'd been on the phone just a few minutes before and when the tornado got close, it basically exploded their house is what we were told. Uh, and if you go to that neighborhood, that's exactly what it, what it looks like. And so he just really never had a good, a good chance. But what, what really happens in, in real time is we didn't know on the 11th that he had passed away. We just knew that he was missing and they couldn't, they didn't know exactly where he was, but that wasn't uncommon. Somebody could be fine, but just at a different location. So it really took, uh, two or three days to determine that he was he was passed away and i believe the the first step was we had one of our deacons go by and and see her um and then shortly thereafter i went by to uh, to see her and pray with her and uh, as you can imagine that was a very emotional in fact that was the first thing that she did was just break down in tears when she saw me and you know me that's the first thing that i did was break down in tears and so for the first several minutes it was just just very emotional. Um, she has since moved in with some with some family, and uh, it it really was a devastating situation for that 
I mean, for that for that family, it changed everything. Thirty seconds changed everything. Let's see. And but your ministry in the aftermath is Romans twelve fifteen. Rejoice with those that rejoice and weep with them that weep. And that, I mean, that's all you can do is just enter into their 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 pain and and minister with them. Wes, tell us a little bit about your team. So the t you, you mentioned a team that came together on the eleventh, and I know that includes your staff. And uh, what what are what are some things you learned about them? as you guys have had to lean on each other and go through this together? I mean, you, you certainly learned that our, our staff is top-notch and they're willing to do whatever it takes. And, you know, job descriptions kind of go out the window. Schedules kind of go out the, the window. You're available from morning until, until night. You do whatever it takes. And there's phases even now that we're still in that same mode, just depending on what. It's better now. Um, but still, right now, we're just whatever comes up, we have to take take care of. But you see the heart of the church. I mean, uh, deacons showing up, church members showing up, everybody wanting to serve, everybody wanting to help. What can we do? You know, how can we how can we help? And that's I mean, that's what we saw. So let's talk a little bit about what you've seen the Lord do. Uh, I realize that you have a new experience of God every day based on just what's happening there. But, but pick out uh, maybe a highlight or two that you've seen the Lord do in the aftermath of this tornado. I'd like to talk about maybe a couple things that one would be when something this bad happens, there's a lot of unity all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. And I think we might have, if you go back to even like 9-11, you saw the whole country come together. Well, you know, in, in Mayfield after this tragedy, there's a lot of unity. There's a lot of grace. There's a lot of patience. And here's what I've, I've mentioned this even on Sundays a little bit. People are more, they, they have more patience and grace with me. Like if I, take a few extra days to get back on a text message or a voicemail or a task. Man, I can feel the grace. Hey, brother, I get it. I understand. And I'm that way with people. If somebody doesn't get back with me, I say, if there's one person that gets it, I get it. There, there was one day where I had 185 text messages that I hadn't seen yet. And it just overwhelms you. I mean, you just, you love it. They're all good, good people, good messages, encouraging, wanting to help. But it overwhelms you and you can't respond. So I've seen patience and grace. And here's here's the message is the, the tornado has made that like a, a tangible, visible thing that we need grace and we need patience. But the truth is, on December 9th, before it hit, people still needed that same level of grace and patience. We just didn't have that tangible reminder in front of us. But people have stuff going on in their lives all the time in the background that we don't know about. But now you have this collective experience to refer back to as a pastor to say, remember after the tornado, how we were all patient with each other and gave additional grace that that needs to be our normal. Yeah. Well, what what if churches, uh, what if church services look like? I know immediately the Sunday following you were actually in your sanctuary and yeah. broken glass. So tell us about that and then kind of how that's normalized since then. So the tornado hit on a Friday. And my worship leader, Paul Murphy, he, he said, hey, I think we ought to have a prayer service on Sunday in the sanctuary. And I said, that's a terrible idea. You know, nobody needs to be driving in downtown Mayfield. Nobody needs to be. We don't even know if this sanctuary is going to be OK. Glass. Wait, I have to time out. Did you really say to Paul, that's a terrible idea? Or, or did, you, did you just say, let's think about that a little bit? <laughs> I probably said something a little more cautious knowing me. Okay. I just need but, to know. Yeah. I probably said something like, I, I don't think so, man. You know, I don't, I don't know. He, I've known Paul Murphy for a long time, and he's known me for a long time, and so we have some freedom there. But uh, I said, I don't think that's a good idea. And, and he said, I really think it is, man. You ought to consider this. And so I just kept saying no. And, and finally, he just kept pushing, saying, we need that moment here in the sanctuary prayer after the tornado. And 
and I think I think it would be great. And I told him this. I said, listen, if it if it goes bad, I'm telling everybody it was your idea. <laughs> and I said, if it goes great, I'm taking the credit. And, uh, and I said, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just messing with you. But um, we had that that prayer service, and and it was you know as much as I hate to say I was wrong and he was right. It it was a great moment. Uh, our church needed that. Even our members, by the way, said, you know, at first I thought this was a bad idea. I'm like, me too. Um, but then they said, we needed to be here and we need to have this time of prayer. Um, and it, you may remember that's, that's, that's the service where the Washington Post was there with us and did a, a great story on the church. And I got to even, I, I asked him very gently, you know, hey, can you put this part about the gospel in the story? I really want to make sure you include something about the Lord in there and they they certainly did they were really faithful it's really amazing to amazing to see and and so now wish you all are meeting in the performing arts center at, at the school is that is that right yeah every sunday morning 9 30 at uh, the graves county high school performing arts center and uh, it's a great place for us they're very generous to let us uh, let us use it it uh, it seats about 475 and we don't you know we, we're running 300 ish to 350 sometimes and uh, Easter, we had more than that, but that was, it was a great day. But yeah, it works out. It works out great for us. So you all are you are knee deep in ministry every day since the tornado. Things that people just have no idea, but you're you're giving away funds that have been sent to you. You're resourcing people. You're trying to figure out the building. You're working with contractors, the cleanup crew, trying to serve your ministers. Everything that the pastor has to do every week, you're having to do. You're also having to do sermon preparation in the midst of all these things going on. So how do you find time? I mean, you've got to get quiet somewhere to study the Bible and prepare for a message. Where does that fit in to what I would think would be very hectic interruption filled days for a normal pastor? Where are you getting time to study the Bible and get ready to preach? So I certainly try to have devotionals every day. It's typically at night for, for me, it's for my personal uh, spiritual you know, walk with the Lord. A sermon prep, just to be 100% honest, I don't like this. This is not how I, I was in the past, but a lot of Friday and Saturday of getting ready to preach on Sunday. Um, nothing last minute. What's yeah. that? Sunday, you know Sunday's, by that point, you know Sunday's coming, and you, you just got to buckle down and get it done. Yeah, and my messages are different today as well. It's, it's Sometimes they're a good reflection of what we've been through that week. Mm -hmm. um, I'm kind of, I'm trending away from that as much right, right this second, I think. But, man, those first couple of months, uh, you know, two or three months, I was talking about what we've been going through as a church the past the past week. The truth is we're ministering to people and communicating with people that in the past we would have probably never ministered to. I don't know if these percentages are right, but we, we might have been in the in the church building 80 percent of the time and out among the people 20 percent of the time. Well, that number's that number's totally flipped. I mean, of course, we don't even have a church building. So so we're not we're not there at the church building. Uh, right now at all, we're out in the community pretty much every day doing something. So your preaching reflects that. I mean, you're you're drawing every time you stand to preach. You're drawing from the week's experience. But West, you're also you're also seeing what people are going through every day, and that's got to color your preaching. Not just about the tornado, but just interacting with people. I mean, my guess is that has to color and and, and come through in in your messages. Here's the complication that we I've heard this used before. I've used this that ministry is just messy. And there is no easy way to get somebody through this. Like, you know, they need a car, they need a house, and they need income, and they need food. And once they have a house, they need furniture, and they need, there is no quick, easy way to
to help somebody like overnight. It, it takes a relationship. It takes time. It takes money. To be honest, it takes resources. And that's what we've been doing. Like, like you said, all the money that came into us, we have been using it, getting it out every single week to people who are in need. Uh, the needs have changed over the, the course of five or six months, but uh, that's, that's what we do every day. So Wes, because of what happened in Mayfield, the tornado, and, and you all being dead center of all that, your building remaining standing while others all around you were destroyed, you've been a, a focus of national media attention. You've been on every news show in, in America, probably, and you've been, major newspapers have interviewed you. How did you know what to say in those moments when a microphone is put in your face and cameras are leaning in on you pretty closely? How, how was that experience? So number one, I've been told that I've got a face for radio. <laughs> uh, you look so, nice, man. A little bit scary to be. Good skin, good skin be, color. You look healthy enough. Yeah. Well, it's awkward for me though because, and you know this about me, I don't, I don't do a lot of uh, broadcasting about what I do or about what the church does. That hasn't been my my mo on social media. I try to use it to talk about something fun the family did or something. I mean, you know, I mean, I just don't use it for a lot of self promotion at, at, at all. I don't, I don't like media like that. And uh, it concerns me sometimes. So that was very different. But I thought we had a, a national platform for a few moments where I could talk about the Lord. And here's what's interesting about talking to these, I, I guess I would call them celebrity media folks, is in the moment, you don't care at all about their celebrity. I don't know that I was nervous for a second because of the magnitude of the tragedy that took place. I mean, like you're looking around at all this destruction and and you're with these people who are hurting so so deeply, and you yourself are going through some shock, I, I think. Like, it just doesn't, I would talk to anybody and tell them the truth about whatever they ask me. Ask me a question, I'm going to tell you that, you know, I, I told one that we don't have our faith in buildings that have been knocked down. We place our faith in a Savior who's been raised up. And I just kept that on my mind the whole time. Every chance you get, talk about, talk about the Lord. Talk about the Lord. Maybe somebody... Um, can hear it a seed can be planted and uh, and plus i mean it's just true i don't have my faith right now in anything physical anything material i know for sure it can be gone tomorrow like i'm positive and so you can't place your faith in a car or a house or a building or a i mean you just can't it's got to be in something eternal or it's or it's worthless well, you did an incredible job. You're poised and you're so articulate and, and helpful. And I know a lot of folks are praying for you, and I know you experienced God helping you know what to say in those in those, in those those moments. Uh, Wes, lots of pastors are facing trying times in their leadership with COVID, so you've now faced COVID and a tornado. What's the biggest lesson that you've learned through about leading through through tragedy? So I would say, uh, I would say this, um, by the way, I'll, I'll mention this real fast. I had one kind of liberal media source yep. set me up perfectly. I've never been set up better. The gentleman looked at me and said, goodness, looking at all this destruction, when you look around, what is it in a situation like this that gives you hope? <laughs> Thanks, sir. I just said, well, brother, thank you for asking. But anyway, uh, you know, how do you get through this with, with COVID and with the, the tornado We've talked about this as staff. It's tough to get, it's tough to get some momentum in a difficult time. Like it's tough to know that you're moving forward. And so we talked about before you can have momentum, what you got to really have is traction. I thought about writing about this at some point. You you need something to kind of dig in and get some traction. So then we talked about well, how do you get traction? 
what you find the the next most important thing to do. Like, what is it today that's going to make a difference for somebody? Because, man, there's 10 things I can do today. They won't make a difference at all. But what can I do today where somebody else goes to bed and they're like, I've been helped today. I've been served today. Some, they were good to me today. They love me today. What What's something tangible that we can do to help them and get some traction? Find two or three of those a day and do them. And then, of course, in the course of a week, now you've got, you know, 10, 15 things that you've been able to tangibly do that have gotten to me the ball rolling. You've gotten some traction, and then you've got some momentum once you've got traction. And then to me, once you've got this momentum going of finding these small things to do and doing them until they're, until they're done, I mean, until they're complete, I'll tell our staff, don't go to bed tonight until that's done. Like, work on it until it's complete. Well, then you can develop consistency. And so to me, that's kind of the three phases in my mind. You got to get traction, you got to build some momentum, and then you got to be consistent. And I, so that's kind of where we are right this second. Well, it sounds like you're, I mean, you're, you're ministering at a priority that there's so many things you could do so many options available, but you're you're really having to pick your lane and and move into it. This is this is what we're this is what we're going to do. Yep. Well, and you're doing you're doing great work. So let's talk personal. How, how have you seen the Lord stretch you personally as a leader through through this experience? And so, you know, personally, I have learned this that uh, I'm I'm probably the most overrated pastor that I know. Like, you know, I know people say nice things about me some sometimes and. You get in a situation like this, you're not as strong of a leader as you think. You're you're not as good of a leader as you really think. I mean, you, you're not as wise as you think. You're not as strong as you think. And so I have really leaned, I believe it's 2 Corinthians 12. I, I got to preach on it at, at chapel at the seminary several weeks ago. But, you know, Paul was so concerned about things, about the thorn in his flesh. And, and the Lord just said that my grace is sufficient for you. And my power is made perfect, Wes, not in your strength, but in your weakness. And so I re I've tried real hard to become content, knowing that I'm just weaker than what I'd like to believe. I mean, I think all of us, yourself included, I know you're a great leader. You and I have been friends for a long time. We like to think of ourselves as, as really strong, good leaders. And the truth is we're weaker than we think. Um, we're more vulnerable than we think. And that's, it's good for me to know, it's good to be humbled and to and to rely heavily on the Lord's leadership in very, very difficult times. Wes, unfortunately for me, uh, my quiet time starts really early in the morning and I read my own journals. It's, I, I can't keep an illusion of strength <laughs> for very, very, very long. So um, when you go through crisis ministry, which is what you're in, you're, you're in a crisis, you're responding to a crisis, it's really easy to become burned out. Because at some point, man, it's just too much. You're in it every day. And the Lord didn't design us to be at something every day, seven days straight, all the time. What, what are you doing to protect yourself and your staff from burnout as you're responding continually to, to this crisis? Yeah. I, my initial thought is was really, when I, I knew that was going to potentially be a question, I, my, my initial thought immediately was not much. You know, I mean, it's just seems overwhelming some some days but then you when i think about it we we take um some time off throughout the day some sometimes like i've, I've taken some mornings off until lunch and and just kind of gotten away uh we've taken small trips um my wife and i went on a marriage retreat 
uh, with Dr. York, and that was that was great for us. We've taken some vacation time for spring break, and we've tried to get away for two, three, four days here or there. It's it's difficult, just to be honest. It's difficult to fit it in. There's things that have to be done. I think I think a time of rest, more rest, will come later. Um, we're taking some time this summer. We're going to try to get some rest this, this summer. And I'm trying to encourage my staff to do the same. I'm certainly giving them that opportunity and that that time. Um, but it's difficult. That's the bottom line. It's difficult. Well, leaders feel guilty as well when you're when you're you're ministering to hurting people all the time. Leaders often feel guilty about taking time away. But I follow your social media enough to know that you're doing some things. I mean, even in the, the first days, you had pictures of your family with Mike Baker and his family, and there were pictures of you guys playing some games. Man, that's healthy because you could you could be at this every waking hour. You could be you could be on your phone dealing with situations, talking to people, and just never see your own your own family. So I thought that was healthy. And then you mentioned, I think you went to, you were part of shepherding um, in the retreat with Dr. York. And then I, I saw you recently went some somewhere else. Man, you have to do that. And, and you know it, but when you're in the middle of helping a lot of hurting people, it's kind of hard to lay it down, I would think. So you mentioned, you mentioned Mike, Mike Baker, of course, who's a great friend of mine, pastor at Sharon Baptist here in Mayfield. And what they did, this is a neat little ministry, because at our house, because we're real close to the, the city here, uh, you know, we didn't have power or water. Uh, we didn't have power for over a week. We didn't have water, I think, uh, or maybe vice versa. One of them we, we didn't have for a couple of weeks. I can't remember now. But, you know, we, our house operated on a generator for, for, for a while. Well, Mike and Gina, his wife, they, they invited people over that were in our circumstance. They invited them over every night and, uh, and fed them supper, gave us a place to take a shower, gave us a place to kind of clean up. And so that was our life. We would be in downtown all day dealing with the, the, the destruction and, and just different things there. And then we would go to their house in the evenings and have supper and get, get all cleaned up. Yeah, well, that's a that's a friendship. You already had a friendship with them, but that's one that'll never you'll never get over. It's a lifelong relationship being built through through this tragedy. So uh, what do your church and community rebuild efforts look like now? So middle, early in May, starting in May, yeah. Or they have December 10th. Uh, how does it look today? A lot of the debris has been cleaned up. Not all of it. Um, a lot of empty lots right this second. And we're starting to see some blocks um, that used to have homes on them that are now, again, completely cleaned off. And the rebuilding process is is starting. Um, in a house yesterday, I put a picture up, think upon both Facebook and, and Twitter, of a house that is being built um, just getting framed up right right now. And we're starting to see more of that. Um, it, it's going to be a long process. It's going to be years uh, before we're back on our feet. The church, I've been asked about the church. It's going to take at least two years to get the church all renovated and, and back to where it uh, it needs to be. That's a long, long journey. Yes, that incredible facility as it was, and folks wouldn't know that for the last eleven years you've you've invested so heavily in remodeling every inch, every inch of that building, and you've done incredible work. But Wes, the other side is you've you all enjoyed that as well. You've had that remodeled space, you've enjoyed it, and you're going to have this uh, this newly remodeled space enjoy it. So one of our listeners has asked, uh, how can our churches, how can other churches throughout the Commonwealth serve serve your your community? And I also want you to speak about this uh, rebuild group that you're part of in the city and maybe some other pastors who are also part of that part of that group. So how can other churches in Kentucky um, serve Mayfield and the surrounding area? And so wanting to help, I mean, the, the first layer that certainly we don't ever ask for, but they it is helpful is, uh, you know, financial gifts. And we've had people give give cash. Basically, we've had people give gift cards like a Visa gift card is very helpful. 
We give those out to families all the time. And then for churches that are wanting to bring groups, we, we have put together what's called an LTRG, a long-term recovery group. I think that's a federally recognized group. Um, Al Chandler is the chair of, of that group. Al is the, the pastor at, at Northside Baptist here in, 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 in Mayfield. Um, and, and so they can contact, there's, a, there's actually somebody, Alan Davidson, who is the pastor at Community Fellowship. Yeah. Uh, and, and he is the, the chair of the committee that handles volunteers who want to come in. To Mayfield. So basically every volunteer group, they, they call Alan Davidson at Community Fellowship and he puts them on a list, finds out what they want to do, finds out when they're available to come and tries to match them with a, a project. Um, that's the best way for us to coordinate the teams instead of just having them come in like a shotgun. We, we have to be, be more specific and you know, know exactly who's coming in so we can know where to where to place them. So, Wes, on our uh, kybaptist.org website, I think we have Alan's contact information listed. We have clearly on our website ways you can be involved in, in, in rebuild uh, effort, ways churches can help. But if someone just wants to reach out to me, wants to connect with Alan, my cell number is 270-889-4276. I'm easy enough to get a hold of, and I can connect you to Alan. He's made himself available to kind of coordinate some of these some of these efforts. All right, so your favorite book on leadership, What's what's on your list? Yeah, I, I had a I had a couple that uh, that uh, I mean, take these or leave these. My my library, I couldn't just look through my library real quick and and see because my library is all in boxes right now. I hope they're all they're okay because um, uh, I love my books, you know. But the the character of leadership has been a a uh, a good. I've read a lot of leadership books, but I like the way uh, Jeff Orge writes and the way he puts things to. Together, so the character of leadership to me is a top-notch book, and this so, one for. Let me pause you there just for a second. So we actually, one of our Kentucky Baptist pastors, Andrew Dyer, is uh, Jeff Orge is president of Gateway Seminary, one of the six SBC seminaries out in is it Ontario, California, where they are now? Used to be in San Francisco, I think it's Ontario. Uh, Andrew Dyer has offered to host a tour for Kentucky Baptist pastors, church members mission board staff who want to visit the seminary while they're out in Anaheim for the upcoming convention. So put that plug in for Andrew and then uh, carry on. Next book. I liked the book Being Leaders by Malfers. Okay. It's I mean, Malfers to me is, a, if that's how you pronounce his last name, he, he's a tremendous writer. I've read a couple of his books, but Being Leaders, again, very basic book on leadership, but, but so thoughtful, so well written. And then on a more secular level, I like just how to win friends and influence people by Carnegie because and I know that's secular, and I used it in business, but in ministry, it's really good for us to learn how to listen to people. And it's important to learn what do others need to feel that close co connection with them and how to communicate well, how to listen well. Um, and that book covers it. Um, outstanding book and so when i was in sales i went through the dale carnegie sales course is one of the best things that probably ever happened to me in terms of personal de development outside of spiritual development uh, let me let me add two to your list here you probably already read these um dr moeller's book on leadership conviction is it con the conviction to lead i have read that yep. it's incredible 25 principles every, every christian ought to read uh, read that read that book every christian leader ought to read it and then another one that's really good is paul david tripp's book uh, lead i think that's just the name of the book I, I read it recently i'm not finding it on my list here real quickly but um it's more about the character of a leader kind of like what you're describing with jeff orge it's it's just more about recognizing the the need for personal integrity uh, don't let your character get get behind your don't let your competence get in front of your character sort of sort of things just just great stuff 
Now I'll, I'll give you one one more. That it's a, it's it's not new. I it's just new to me. Somebody said, "Hey, have you read this?" And I'm like, "No, I hadn't read that one." And it was called The Dip, and it talks about knowing when to quit. Oh well. Wow. Like knowing when to quit on a certain project or idea that you're working on. And see, I see in ministry sometimes we don't know when to quit or when to keep pushing. That's and, great. And so this book talks about, it's by Godin, G-O-D-I-N. Uh, Seth, Seth, Seth Godin? I think so, yeah. See, I'm not, I'm not terribly familiar with him. I probably should be. But anyway, great written book, and it just talks about sometimes you've got to push through the difficult moment to get to the great moment. And in that difficult moment, it might feel like you need to quit, but actually you need to push through. And sometimes it's time to quit. And he kind of gives you some ideas to know when to do what. Well, that's good for that's good for all of us. So, what do you do to get the most out of a book when you're reading it? You sit down with a leadership book. You want to learn something. You don't just want to read it and put it on the shelf and check off the box. I read another book and have another yep. trophy. What do you do to get the most out of it? So, I've got about four books around the house right this second. I've got one right here, uh, Early Christian Thought. That's more of my theological, which I love. It is it's tremendous. That it's what's his name by by Wilkin. Top-notch, top-notch book. And then I've got some on leadership, you know, scattered around sometimes, or I've got one that's it's just easier to read sometimes. But if I sit down in the living room, I want a book close by, and if I've got kind of a, a few moments, I'll pick it up and read. So I will read through four or five books at a, at a time is, instead of one all the way through. And, I, I mean, I make underlines, and I um, I try to take some notes on some books, even if I'm you know, not doing a book report or anything. I just take take some notes down. Um, that's typically how I, how I get through it. And some of it sticks with sticks with you. All right. So if you're looking to get away, do you prefer a beach or do you prefer the mountains? That's a bad question. I mean, that, this is so. <laughs> my, my you to make body, your wife happy or to make yourself happy? I mean, the mountains. Uh, you know. So my my rule of thumb is I don't want to go anywhere where I sweat taking the luggage up to the room. If I break a sweat taking the luggage up, I don't want to go there. Like that's a bad place. That's not vacation to me. And the beach, it's so humid. And I don't like sand. I mean, sand gets in places where it should never, ever get. And then you bring it home with you. I, I got sand here in the house now from last year. I don't want that. And the mountains, though, I mean, that's beautiful. That's that's God's place. That's that's where we need to go. That's where we need to relax. That's where it's not as humid usually. And so I'm definitely a mountains, a mountains kind of guy. Sounds like you're trying to speak to your wife and try, instead of trying to speak to the rest of us. I, I hear Michigan is really underrated in terms of a good place, a good beach to go to where the weather's not, not quite so bad. Mm. Uh, you're, you're, you guys are locked in on Mayfield West. I saw your, that uh, Tara just took a position as principal at Sedalia. in Sedalia. Is that right? That's one of our local elementary schools. She's been teaching, uh, teaching math for 19 years now. And, uh, and recently, just yesterday, accepted a, a position as a, a principal of a local elementary school. Here's a great thing for you to do. You're, you're close to, at Sedalia, you're close to some of the, the very best barbecue in West Kentucky, Southern Reds and Pilot Oak. So you can go out there and get some barbecue and run over and see your wife and, and uh, serve her yourself. Uh, one piece of advice that you'd share with all ministry leaders right now. It, it's really the same advice I had before the tornado. And that's, uh, we, we need to be faithful. You know, we... During good times, we need to be faithful. During very difficult times. I mean, life is not is not terribly fun for us right now in, in, in Mayfield. Um, if I could share just real fast, about a month ago, my wife asked me, we're sitting on the couch at night, and she said, she said, hey, did you have a good day? And without any thought, I want to write about this as well, because it just caught my attention that I said this, because I'm a positive person. But without any thought, I looked at my wife and said, I don't have good days. 
And she just kind of looked at me. I looked at her and I said, huh. But then I thought about it. You know, I mean, I do have good days. They're just different days than what they used to be. I mean, the Lord is good. Our church is good. My family is good. The ministry that we've been, been entrusted with right now, it's, it's actually good ministry. It's just different. And so I'm having to redefine the word good. Like, what does that mean to have a good day? It means you can serve the Lord faithfully. It means you can spend time in his word. It means you can spend time in prayer. It means that you've got an opportunity to share with somebody about the Lord. I had that yesterday. Great opportunity yesterday. So, you know, I can actually come home, even though we're in the middle of a tornado, you know, ridden area, and it's still a good day. I just, I've had to redefine the word good in my heart and, and mind. It's tough, it's difficult, but I'm called to be faithful right now through a difficult time. And I know there's other brothers out there that, that just, I mean, we need to be faithful. Um, stay in the word, stay in prayer, live for the Lord, strive for holiness, be faithful. Wes, First uh, Corinthians 4, verse 2, moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Amen. And so you're, you're getting a chance to get a new scorecard for what life and ministry is supposed to look like. And uh, it seems like faithfulness is probably probably the answer. Man, Kentucky Baptist, love you. I'm, I love you and grateful for you. Appreciate your friendship and, and so glad for your faithfulness where you are and how God used you and, and pastors around you. You're the one on the the, the, the episode here, but there's so many faithful pastors in your area who are serving day in, day out, just doing the, just doing the work. So thank you for your, your good work, your ministry, and your friendship. Blessings, blessings to you. Thank you, brother. Thanks for listening to Leadership Lessons. This program is made possible by the generous contributions by Kentucky Baptist through the cooperative program. For more information about the Kentucky Baptist Convention, go to kybaptist.org. And for news about how Kentucky Baptist churches are making a difference, go to kentuckytoday.com.